I'm your host, Lauren Robinson, and welcome to Financial Management God's Way with Tom Copeland. I have heard it said that more than half of marriages end in divorce, and financial issues often play a primary role in creating family stress and ending the marriage. When it comes to money, it can be a challenge to get it right. But these financial issues impact so many areas of life. That's why it is imperative that we become more aware of the timeless financial principles in the Bible. Tom Copeland is first and foremost a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom is the president and founder of Copeland Financial Ministries. He has helped thousands of people learn to manage money God's way. For more information, check out BibleFinance.org. Again, BibleFinance.org. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland is aired on 70 radio stations and five TV stations across Canada. He is the author of the book Financial Management God's Way, as well as several workshop series, including Debt Reduction God's Way and Discerning God's Will in Managing Money. For the first 20 minutes today, you will hear a pre-recorded presentation that Tom gave at a church where he provided an overview of what the Bible says on finances. Today is part one of a two-part series. Let's listen to Tom's presentation. Anyhow, what I'm going to be talking about today is giving you an overview of what the Bible says on finances. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you nine different topics. And um, as I get on, we're going to cover each topic in about three minutes, four minutes. Um, if I get onto a topic that doesn't apply to you, I'd encourage you to consider listening, consider focusing in, um, because it'll be another minute or two, and I'll be on a topic that does, does apply to you. So here's the first thing I want you to take note of. It's interesting, if you look through Scripture, the Bible has about 500 verses on prayer, prayer about 500 verses on faith. And Howard Dayton, a fellow that started Crown Financial Ministries in the United States, did an in-depth study, and he found 2,350 verses on what the Bible says on money and material things. Incredible. Phenomenal amount of knowledge there. The other thing I've found in the last 34 years, I've had the privilege of counseling at least 10,000 people, or maybe 15 or 20. I, I counsel several every week. Um, and one thing I have found is that, generally speaking, most Christians, Bible-believing, born-again Christians, have limited knowledge of what the Bible says on finances. Um, they usually know something about tithing. But when it comes to things like what the Bible says on the dangers of debt, the admonition to save for future needs, uh, how to get out of debt, uh, godly versus worldly attitudes, or biblically-based estate planning, I find most Christians really have very limited knowledge of, of these areas. And there's so much wisdom in God's Word that we are not availing ourselves of, which is very unfortunate. So here's the first one topic I want to talk about. It's stewardship. What do the following verses say to you about the stewardship of your assets? Everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And Haggai 2.8, I love that scripture. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. At that time, silver and gold was used as money. So what God is saying is the money is his. Psalms 24.1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. When you really look at it, everything's God. Genesis 1, he created it all, and he's entrusted it to entrusted it to us. So the conclusion is God's the owner. We are stewards or managers of what God's entrusted to us while we're here on earth. And if you don't agree, think of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6. We brought nothing into this world. We shall take nothing out of it. A split second after we die, we will realize we were just managers or stewards of what God's entrusted to us 
God was the owner. We're going to leave it all behind. We're just managing it for the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we're here on earth. And remember, our time here on earth compared to eternity is, is very short. So here's my definition of Christian stewardship. Acknowledging in heart and mind that God owns everything, and then using money and material things in accordance with God's principles and God's specific will. That's my, my definition. In Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus said, Not my will, but yours be done. We need to make sure we're using the money God's entrusted to us according to his principles and, and his specific will. Think about Matthew and the parable of the talents. If you remember that parable, that's where the master who is God entrusted five talents to one servant. He entrusted two talents to another servant. And he entrusted one talent to a third servant. The scripture says that after a long time, a long time, perhaps a lifetime, the master returned and made the servant accountable, all three servants accountable, regardless of how much they had. They were all accountable to God as to what they had done with the funds that he had entrusted to them. It's interesting, if you look at the scripture, God didn't make them, a lot of Christians think I'm only accountable for the first 10% to tithe, I can do whatever I want with the rest. But these servants were accountable with respect to what they did with all of the money that God had entrusted to them, everything. Uh, Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give account of ourselves to God. We will stand before the Lord one day. If you know Christ as Savior and Lord, you're certainly going to spend eternity in heaven, but it'll be a case of whether you're, you're, you're giving rewards or lack of rewards when we get to, um, get to heaven and stand before the Lord. So, okay, so the next topic I'd like to talk about is God's wisdom on debt. And here's the, some key points about God's wisdom on debt. First, it is not a sin to borrow. It's a sin to borrow, not repay. And also, if we borrow money and we don't pay it back, it's a bad testimony. If you go to Matthew 5, it says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What kind of a light in the world of darkness is a Christian who uh, doesn't pay their debts? It's not much of a testimony. So clearly from Scripture, if we borrow money, we have a responsibility as Christians to pay it back. The second point I'd like to make on what the Bible says on debt is that God discourages debt and he warns of the dangers of debt. Proverbs 22.7 says the borrower is servant to the lender. Servant to the lender? Let me give you a few examples. A wife cannot stay at home with the kids because she has to continue to work full time in order to service their debts. Often young couples take on big mortgages, car loan payments and all kinds of different types of debt. And, and often they get stuck. They, they become a servant to the lender. A husband may feel at some point, or a wife, someone may feel led to go into full-time ministry. But I've seen so many cases where they've been prevented from doing that because they have to keep their full-time secular job with a higher pay in order to service the debts. And of course, debt, especially the accumulation of debt, causes stress, sleepless nights, and often causes problems um, in a marriage between husband and wife. The number of people I've counseled, unbelievable, where the number one stress in their marriage is finances, is incredible. Yet it's so unfortunate because most Christians I find are violating God's word on finances unknowingly. They just don't know what it says, so they're not following it. And it's something that can be easily solved if both husband and wife learn and apply what God says on finances. We've had the privilege of... Um, helping hundreds, certainly hundreds of marriages reheal. And I know nothing about marriage counseling, but I do know about what God says on finances. And if finances is the number one area of stress, which it so often is, if they'll both learn God's way of managing money, if we can help solve that problem, often a lot of the rest of the uh, issues the husband and wife can work out and the marriage relationship can heal. 
Um, and I've seen this even when the, the husband may be a leader in the church. I had one two weeks ago where the husband was a pastor. And uh, he was spending like crazy and she wasn't. Now that they can go the other way around, but causing all kinds of problems. And their, their marriage is actually in serious trouble. Um, another thing to note, number three, is the pattern throughout Scripture is for God to provide for needs with no debt. If you go out throughout Scripture, God always provided for needs without any debt. Jesus fed the 5,000. Um, he didn't tell them to go and put it on the credit card or borrow. Through the 40 years in the desert, uh, God provided manna to the Israelites and, and water. And uh, throughout Scripture, when God met a need, he did it with no debts. Another thing I'd say is this. This is a key Scripture, Matthew 6. Jesus said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think it's important to note that what Jesus is saying, Put him first, he'll meet our needs, what we shall eat, drink, and wear. Um, but it's also important to note that nowhere in Scripture does God promise to meet our wants and desires. Um, sometimes He will, and I believe when he, he wants to meet your wants and desires, He'll provide the cash. But so often, it, 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 God has, has promised to meet our needs. It's, it's funny when we sit down with individuals and couples and they've accumulated a lot of debt. And we, I ask them to go back and look at where they spent their money over the last three, four years. So often, a big percentage of what they spent money on were wants and desires. They were not needs. And... Um, and, and you can just see that, that people are getting, they're buying things that they really don't need with money they really don't have. But today, with credit cards, lines of credit, it's very easy to do. So um, the next point I'd like to make, before you borrow any money, prayerfully consider the following questions. Is this purchase a necessity? Have I prayed and asked God for his wisdom and his direction? Psalms 32, 8, God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. God's promised to direct us. But unfortunately, what do, what do most Christians do? They go ahead and make the decision. Let's say their car is starting to wear out. Rather than pray and ask God to provide them with another car, maybe a good used one or whatever, instead what they do is they just go off to the dealership, get a car, 0% financing, thinking, well, the financing is available. God must be opening the door, you know, this kind of stuff. And, and really then often Christians pray later when they're in financial difficulty and ask God to bail them out or ask God to bless their decision. Another key question, have I given God a chance to provide the cash or a better alternative? Isaiah 64.4 says that God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. I've seen so many cases in the last 34 years where probably 70, 80 cars have been given. Just use a car for example. They've been given away. I know of one couple that had limited income. They had a, had a need for a car. And um, rather than praying, they just went off and did the 0% financing at the dealership. There was another couple in that same church that had a need for a car, and then there was another couple that had a car that was in good shape, only about 70,000 kilometers on it, and they felt led by the Lord to give it away. Well, who'd they give it to? They gave it to the couple that waited upon the Lord, is what ended up happening. God acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. And the last thing, very important practical thing, have you developed and implemented a budget to ensure you can afford the loan payments? So often we see uh, an individual or a couple, they have a certain amount of money to put down, they go to the bank, he makes X, she makes Y, add it together with low interest rates, they get approved on a $600,000 mortgage, and maybe they got 50 to put down. They say, honey, God's opened the door for us to buy a house for 650000 God's opened the door for us to borrow $600,000. That may not be God opening the door, that could be the enemy, Satan, tempting you to get into debt. And by the way, if borrowing and buying 
lying and, quote, stepping out of faith, out in faith with alone, if that's stepping out in faith, the non-Christians are doing it every day. They're stepping out of faith, borrowing, buying. We have a whole mindset in our society today that's so different from 50 years ago, where today it's borrowing, buy. If you go back in Canada 50, 60 years ago, basically you didn't borrow for anything but a house. And even then you actually put down, normally it was about a 30 to 40% down payment. Um, there's a very different mindset today, and it can lead to a lot of problems. Also be careful of debt restructuring. What happens here is so often you see an individual or couple, they run up debt on, usually on their credit cards. And then what happens is they run it up on their credit cards, they perhaps go see the bank or they talk to a friend, they say, we can solve your problem. We'll just give you a personal line of credit against your home and pay off your credit cards. Husband and wives come out of the meeting, they say, honey, we solved our financial problems. You haven't solved your problem. You treated the symptom. The underlying problem was that you were spending more than you're making on credit cards, and, and that's the, you got to deal with that. Because so often we see cases where people spend, they run up their credit cards, they get a line of credit, they pay it off. Two, three years later, they do the same. Two, three years later, they do the same. And it's amazing how many people that I've sat down with where the debt on their home is greater than what they paid for. The home, the house they bought 20 years ago, you know, in Toronto, the houses have gone up a lot. They bought it 20 years ago for 200,000. It's worth 600 a day, but the debt on the house is 350. There's something wrong there. It's telling you that you're using the equity in your home to finance a lifestyle you really cannot afford. And it's a very dangerous thing to do. Um, so Proverbs 22.3 says, The wise man sees danger and takes refuge, but the foolish keep going and suffer for it. Unfortunately, many people just keep doing the same thing because the credit's available. Final question, before you make any major financial decision, are you experiencing God's peace regarding the proposed decision? Have you prayed? Have you waited upon the Lord? Have you developed a budget? Now are you experiencing God's peace before you make the decision? Again, discern and determine God's will before you make the financial decision, not afterwards. And if you're not experiencing God's peace in the area of finances, you're probably not managing money God's way. If you go to John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So there's our summary on what the Bible says on debt. And understand again, I'm not trying to say it's not a sin to borrow. It's a sin to borrow, not repay. But the emphasis in Scripture is towards minimal debt. Ideally, long term, is to have no debt. I can tell you when you get to retirement, the last thing you want is any debt. Um, the worldly perspective is to use debt freely. The whole concept of buy now uh, and pay later, which results in lots of debt. So what does the Bible say about saving? I'm going to go on to that. You can either borrow and buy, or you can save for future needs. Let's look at this key scripture, Proverbs 21.20. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I'm going to repeat that one. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. If you look at the statistics of people in Canada, the United States, and around the world, 80 to 90% of people fall into the foolish category. That is, they spend all their regular income, they have no savings, so when an unexpected automobile repair comes up, anybody ever had an un unexpected automobile repair? I sure have. Unexpected house repair. Or sometimes even when some expected expenses come up, like the annual insurance premiums or a vacation, because they haven't saved for it, what happens? It forces them into debt. And they, they just run those bad financial habits over a long time, and the debts just tend to, to go up and up and up. And uh, it's, just, it's just unfortunate. I'm gonna, here's something to think about. God's perspective is to save for future needs. The world's perspective is to buy now and pay later. Very different. God's perspective, save for future needs. World's perspective, buy now, pay later. Let me give you something to think about. I'd like to challenge you here a bit. 
Since God is in control, Psalms 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. And since God has promised to meet our needs as we put him first, Philippians 4.19, Paul said, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say my God in the bank or my God in the credit card company. It says my God will meet all your needs. Is it not reasonable then for Christians to trust God to meet their needs rather than relying on credit cards, personal lines of credit, and other loans? The answer is a clear yes, and it's substantiated by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So here's a summary of what the Bible says on saving. The biblical perspective is to use minimal debt and save regularly for future needs and be content with God's provision and timing. Godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul said. Be content. How many advertisements do you see on TV that are encouraging you to be content? Like it's, in the world, it's, it's the total opposite. They want you to be discontent so you'll buy their product. What's the worldly perspective? The worldly perspective is use debt freely, buy now, pay later, and the whole, I call it a financial deception that smart people use other people's money. The truth is, the biblical perspective is, smart people don't use other people's money. They use as little debt as possible and they pay it off as quickly as possible. I'm not an academic. I know that for most individuals and couples, they're going to have to borrow to buy a house. I understand that. Um, I would encourage people to get save up at least 20% down so you avoid the CMHC payment, that, that, uh, that cost. And also it gives you a cushion in case houses have a correction. They have had a correction before and they will likely have corrections again. And, but some other things, an automobile. Maybe you have to buy, borrow to buy a car once. But what I'd say is, let's say you get a new car. Keep that car for 10 or 12 years, let's say 10 years minimum. Pay it off within four or five. And then over the next four to six years, save up enough money to buy your next car. It doesn't have to necessarily be new. But make it so that you don't have a car loan payment all your life. I've helped lots of people get out of debt and start saving for their future needs. And it's just, it's just a great feeling. By the way, I've helped uh, hundreds of people eliminate debt completely. And I'm talking no credit cards, no lines of credit, no, no car loan, no mortgages, nothing. And no one's ever come back and said, Tom, we really missed that mortgage payment. Or Tom, those, those, those two car loan payments, we really wish we had them. No one ever came that back and said that. Tom, we got all this surplus cash flow each month. We praise the Lord. We can give more to God's work. We can take that special family vacation. We can do all kinds of things. So um, debt causes stress and it reduces your options. And you can easily become a servant to the lender. God wants us to serve him, of course. Here's some steps to get out of debt. The first thing is to pray and ask God for his wisdom and his direction. Um, James says, if any of us lack wisdom, we all lack wisdom, and we should ask God and he'll give it to us abundantly. Uh, why do I say that? That's step number one, because for one couple and another couple versus another individual, it can be different. For some people, if they're accumulating debt, you just have to go through and eliminate their discretionary expenses. For others, you may have to downsize from two cars to one. Other people, to get their finances in order, may have to downsize their house. There's different things uh, that, uh, that, that can, can be used, and for some, they can increase their income, and if that is possible, then, then that's fine. But there, you need God's specific wisdom and direction. Regularly study and meditate on God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. As you pray through, through scripture, you can, you can pray through and look at a hundred scriptures. Um, I think of a couple recently. They, were, they, had, they had followed, gone through our course, financial management, God's way, became totally debt-free, and no mortgage, nothing. And then they were thinking about getting a bigger house. They thought it'd be a good investment, and it'd be nice to have a bigger house. And as they started praying, they looked about 100, 200 verses on what the Bible says on finances. The ones that dealt with contentment jumped out at them. 
What John the Baptist said, be content with your pay. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. There's lots of scriptures on it. And it's just like when those scriptures jumped out at them, they knew that God was telling them to just be content with what they had. Um, and that's, that's something we need to do as we go through God's word. Let him speak to us through his word. The next thing to do to get out of debt is evaluate where you're at financially. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Remember at that time, people were farmers. So the modern day application of this is know where you're at financially. So often we sit down with individuals or couples. They make X plus Y added together. It's more than enough income, but they have no idea where their money's going. So one thing I'll be suggesting later, um, and as part number four, they're developing, implementing a budget, is just start tracking your expenses. So at least you know what your financial facts are, as opposed to guessing. The next point is, this is a key one. Ask God to enable you to be content with his provision. We know how committed the Apostle Paul was. In Philippians 4, Paul said, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul had to learn to be content, and so do we. Um, I've learned the secret of being content in any of every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So the question I ask is, what was Paul's secret to learning contentment? What was Paul's secret to learning contentment? It's given in the last verse. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. In other words, Paul did, he learned contentment, contentment depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you walk out of here and today and said, I'm going to learn contentment, or you think you're going to flick a switch, I'm going to be content from now on, it's not probably not going to be that easy. It's something we have to learn. We have to learn it depending upon the Lord. We need the Lord to help us. You need to pray a lot. You need to spend a lot of time in God's Word, allow God through His Word and His Spirit to change the way you think about money and material things. Um, it's a process. It takes time. And it also, you, because Paul was focused on, on Christ, and he was, depending on the Lord, he was focused on things of eternal value as opposed to things of temporal value. And I'll talk more about that later. The next point, with your surplus of cash, pay off the most expensive debt first, such as credit cards. And depending on the Lord, follow up and persevere till you're debt-free. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Thank you, Tom. You've quoted so many verses from the Bible, some warning of the dangers of debt and others where God admonishes us to plan and save for the future. Could you please give us some real-life examples, perhaps starting with young people? Yes, Lauren. Here's what I've seen to be extremely common amongst young people today. A young person attends college or university, and since credit is readily available through student loans, student lines of credit, and credit cards, they accumulate a lot of debt during post-secondary. Shortly thereafter, they get a full-time job and they purchase a new car with 0% financing. Not long after, they get married and purchase a house taking on a large mortgage and buying new furniture on credit from one of the large retailers. Unknowingly, the majority of young people, and older people too, violate many biblical financial principles, accumulate a lot of debt, and later suffer the consequences. For example, the wife gets pregnant and she wants to stay at home with the kids, but that is not an option because unintentionally they have become servants to the lender, Proverbs 22.7, and she must continue to work full-time in order to service their debts. And so often the accumulation of debt significantly stresses their marriage relationship. Tom, do any of these young couples come to your organization for biblical counsel? Yes, and one thing I encourage the young couples to do is to review their historical bank and credit card statements to see where they have spent their money. Unfortunately, generally this reveals there was a lot of unnecessary spending on wants and desires as opposed to needs. 
In other words, a lot of the debt was totally unnecessary. In Matthew 6, Jesus promised that if we put him first, he will meet our needs, but Christ does not say that he will meet our wants and desires. Yes, sometimes God will meet our wants and desires, but generally he does that with cash and not debt. Thank you, Tom, for that example. What advice would you give to anyone who has already accumulated significant debt? In my experience, I think the first and foremost thing is for people to learn God's way of managing money, learn the biblical principles as outlined in his word. And in order to do that, I find there's no substitute for studying and meditating on what the Bible says on finances. Here's two key verses. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? The answer is provided in Joshua 1.8, which says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. If people study and meditate on the appropriate scriptures, then God, through his word and his spirit, replaces their worldly attitudes, such as selfishness, covetousness, and pride, and replaces those with some godly thinking, such as contentment, giving generously, and planning their finances with a budget. Developing godly thinking with respect to finances enables them to become content with less and to develop and implement a budget or spending plan to ensure that they have a monthly surplus so they can pay down debt and save for future needs. In 1 Timothy, Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we shall take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In addition, going through an in-depth biblical financial study, such as Financial Management God's Way, can be extremely helpful, and in my experience, this study has had the greatest long-term impact on how people manage money. For details, go to BibleFinance.org. Again, BibleFinance.org. Tom, in your experience, what benefits will people receive if they learn and consistently manage money God's way? I've seen thousands of cases, Lauren, where people have learned and followed God's wisdom in the area of finances. When this occurs, generally within three to five years, they are able to pay off their personal line of credits, um, their credit cards, automobile loans. And further, I've seen numerous cases where if people continue to manage money God's way, they'll become totally debt-free within another seven to ten years. That means no mortgage and no debt of any kind. And further, the elimination of debt results in significant surplus of positive cash flow so that people can do the many things that they've always wanted to do, such as giving more to God's work, taking that special family vacation, and saving for future needs such as children's education and retirement. And having little or no debt enables an individual to go into full-time ministry, accepting a lower-paying job when by far the majority of Christians could not make this decision because of their high debt loads. Many Christians are a servant to the lender without realizing it. Tom, thank you for these real-life examples. I want to make our listeners aware of the other resources that will enable people to learn God's way of managing money. You can go to BibleFinance.org, where you can join the Financial Moment email list. You can download a free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System and watch the 30-minute video explaining how to develop and implement a budget. You can also receive financial coaching on a ministry basis at no charge. You can go through the online interactive video titled Financial Management God's Way. Again, the website is BibleFinance.org. Well, Tom, we're coming to the conclusion of our program today. Do you have any concluding remarks? Yes, Lauren. In my experience, most people have little or no knowledge of what the Bible says on finances. So as a result, they unknowingly violate biblical financial principles and eventually suffer the consequences. 
This is so unnecessary. If you and your spouse, if you're married, would study and meditate on God's word with respect to finances and implement God's financial principles in managing money. Thank you, Tom, for your advice today and all of the helpful real-life examples that they, you have given. They are so encouraging, I'm sure, to all of our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to our discussion today. If you have any questions in respect to today's broadcast, you can email info at biblefinance.org, and Tom or one of his trained financial coaches will advise you. Additionally, you can check out biblefinance.org for more information. Again. That's BibleFinance.org. Thanks so much for tuning in today. God bless you.